Stephen, Auckland's comprehensive art show brought to you on Planet FM 104.6 and streaming live around the globe thanks to our podcasts, which you can download from planetaudio.org.nz. This show was pre-recorded during Auckland's Level 3 lockdown. Tonight we are checking in with the fantastic duo Nick and Ben who have written a musical based around New Zealand's politics. We talk with author Pip Mackay on her recent release of her new book plus songwriting sensation Lisa Crawley beams in from Los Angeles to talk about life, lockdown and her latest single. To kick off the show here's one of my favourite Lisa Crawley numbers, Elizabeth.
now we are joined by Ben Kubiak and Nick Brown to talk about their new musical, which has got a really long name, and I'll let them say it <laughs> so I don't get it wrong. So, Nick, tell us a little bit about your musical. Uh, kia ora, Emma. Kia ora, Stephen. Uh, and musical, yeah, it's funny you should start there because when, when I have to promote this show or talk about it or uh, mention it in uh, an email, um, having a name like proportional misrepresentation <laughs> is really quite problematic because it is so long. It comes from the idea of proportional representation, which our MMP um, derives from. And the idea that we're misrepresenting these characters because we're we're telling um, judicious lies about these characters. We're putting them in a kind of a, a fantastical situation. So that's why it's misrepresenting, and it's kind of a, it's a play on words. It's a bit of wordplay pun punnery. And of course, punnery is something that both of you um, are very good at, and you've done before with <laughs> past shows under um, for for minute lunch. Minute lunch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Ben and I have worked as our third show together formally as creative collaborators. So we did, um, we formed a theatre company, Ben and I, after we worked together on Oliver and uh, Four Minute Lunch. It was originally Three Minute Lunch. That's me, Ben and Andrew Mayer. And then uh, Lee McClymont, who's a friend and colleague from Westlake Boys, he came on board as well to make it four men. And we're going to actually, it was a new, new iteration coming up as well. So we did in our first year in 2016, we did the Shakespeare Review, which we did for a month um, around Auckland. And then in 2018, 2019, we did Tom Foolery, the music of Tom Lehrer, which I directed and performed in and Ben performed in and musically directed. Cool. And you managed to stage the show before COVID locked us down again? <laughs> You're one of the lucky ones? Well, we the, staging, the staging history has been an interesting time uh, because yeah. we've, we've managed to rather judiciously slip in between all of the various lockdowns <laughs> and stuff, which has um, made it a bit of a whirlwind experience to get everything in. But um, we're very fortunate to have had the experience. So, yeah, so we wrote the thing. We, we started writing the thing just before the first big lockdown hit, then wrote it um, basically over Zoom during lockdown. Yeah. Uh, and then immediately following lockdown, we very quickly put together a, a nice workshop performance at AMT to see if anything we'd written was any good uh, and were reliably <laughs> informed by some people there that, yeah, some of it was. Uh, so we went forwards and with our wonderful, committed and talented cast uh, in the space of, uh, what was it, Nick, uh, two weeks or something, uh, we got this yeah. thing up on the stage and we had a lovely run at Auckland Music Theatre, uh, I think about a week and a half before this lockdown hit. Like yeah, that. so we did the workshop on the 28th of June and we ran up to that weekend, 29th of June, 28th of June, and we did a full weekend before the Sunday workshop. And then we worked pretty much on the material based on feedback we got from that workshop. So we followed a very predictable kind of London, New York model where, you know, you work on a piece of material and then it only exists in the abstract in our imaginations and us speaking out loud to each other. So we needed to see how it landed with using Americanism uh, with an audience. And so that's what the workshop really showed us, where some things landed really well and some things didn't land at all. <laughs> so you go away and you rewrite, you, you reimagine scenes, um, change songs, change the point of emphasis of a song, maybe give a song to somebody else. It's, it's an interesting process. And why this topic? What, what inspired you to go down this path? Here <laughs> okay, I ask. So, well, okay, so, go, ben. Um, so at the start of this year, so as, as Nick said, we've done uh, several 
uh, shows together, and they're uh, mostly in the sort of fringe theatre mould, you know, the slightly cabaretish theatre mould. Uh, and so uh, Nick and I were were at a get together earlier this year, and we were talking about uh, some more uh, fringe shows from overseas that we could import this year to to perhaps have something else to do. And I was just sort of sitting there thinking, Nick, yeah, we could do this, but why don't we just write something ourselves? And and uh, will I pick it up from here, Ben? Well, yes, why don't you, yes. And then Ben said to me, he said, Nick, we should write something together. I said, that's a really good idea. What do you want to do, Ben? And Ben went, I've got no idea. That's your job. And so, <laughs> and so I said, ah, okay. And so bless Ben. It was, it was a lovely vote of confidence in our relationship and our creative collaboration. So what I did is I, I kind of got a list of about 10 or 12 topics that I thought would be good. And then Ben, he, he added his own topics that he thought he would um, like to do. And then we, over lunch, we kind of just shared what might, could coalesce into an interesting show and and we both decided it's like, it's like speed dating you know when you you decide who, you, you give in your list of people you, you would happily see again and they give in a list of who they and hopefully they coalesce and uh, it was politics we wanted to do something about the election so that's how it kind of came about but interestingly enough nick i remember a few years ago you had quite an interest in doing um was it parade no which it was a musical that you were quite keen to see i sing wasn't it Oh, that's a good point, Emma, actually. Well remembered. Yeah, I actually was keen on two musicals, of The I Sing, which is a very... You, you have to be a bit of a, a theatre, musical theatre nerd to know that. That's a um, uh, Kaufman and Hart and Gershwin Brothers musical from 1933. It was, I think, the second or third musical to win the Pulitzer Prize for drama, and it's all about a kind of a fantastical election. It's kind of a comedy version of the Trump universe, strangely, but it's written in 1933. And then I also wanted... I was also very keen on another political show... Oh, blimey, written by the two guys that did, which is of Eastwick, um, and I've forgotten the name of it. It'll come to me in a second in a hot flash. Um, yeah, and that was another political musical, which is kind of a reimagining of the Kennedy myth, the, you know, the, the John F. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy relationship myth. So, And I'm a very political animal, personally. I can't speak for Ben, but I love American politics. I'm a huge consumer of podcasts and MSNBC and CNN, and, and I love it in New Zealand politics as well. Um, so, yeah. I'm interested in your use of the phrase a comedic version of the Trump universe. <laughs> well said. Touché. Touché, Benjamin. I spent today watching the first <laughs> night of the Republican National Convention. There we are. And the comedy sort of creates itself. <laughs> yes, unknowing irony, I think, is the phrase that we should, yeah. Something um, like that. Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. So, no, well remembered, Emma. Thank you. Yeah, no, I do. I do love politics and I... I think the political universe is a fascinating one because it is just so ripe. It's got such rich characters. If we look at our own heritage, we've got the wonderful Winston Peters who, you know, he's, he's somewhere between snake oil salesman and, <laughs> and, and lizard. He seems to have somehow survived, the, the, you know, every, every administration. He's remarkable. And someone with charm and sophistication and real communication skill like Jacinda. And then Simon Bridges, who I, I find eminently fascinating and so as ben and i started to talk about these people we had a really interesting context we had a really good point of tension the upcoming election we had some really wonderful characters and also sub characters as well so and it did sing you know as, as we talked about it we, we could imagine songs for these people ben is that a fair yeah summation? absolutely i mean that, that at that lunch where uh, nick was sort of throwing ideas at me he um he threw at me this idea of you know the secret life of politicians and instantly it just struck me uh that it, that just sounded like fun to write 
you know, because uh, you, in a way you sort of don't have to create your characters. They come mm. to you fully formed. Uh, and that's, that's fun because then you can play with the public consciousness of them. And th- our show sort of began with Simon Bridges because um, after, after that lunch, I went home and instantly wrote a song for Simon because I had an idea. Um, and he just seemed such a perfectly fully formed, tragically mm. comedic character, you know, and, uh, 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 the most perfect little uh, shaggy wet dog of a human being. Uh, just you know, so so downtrodden mm. and pathetic that you can't help but feel for the poor guy. Um, so yeah, and then like Nick says, you have Winston Peters who barely needs any embellishment to turn him into um, a character of uh, Shakespearean ebullience, and then our very own fearless leader Jacinda who um, mm. it was who is has her own. Uh, traits, shall we say, yeah. uh, of her own that you can make fun of. So it's like Nick said, this whole idea of actually taking these characters and misrepresenting them a little bit. I, I wonder where your show would have gone if Judith Collins had gotten a little bit earlier than planned. Ah, yes. Well, this is the thing. Yeah. So um, okay. we were actually a little worried because um, we'd, we were a fair way into writing the show and then that fateful day happened when all of a sudden Simon Bridges was out. And Nick and I had a Zoom call with each other where we went, oh, damn, do we have to cut him from the show now? He's kind of our favourite <laughs> character. Mm. Um, uh, and in the end, we worked out, no, we don't, actually. We, um, we still make, make reference to the, uh, the, the revolving door of leaders that the National Party has had of late uh, while still keeping our focus on dear Simon. We actually had a bit of trouble with Todd Muller because we, we, tried to, we tried to write stuff for Todd Muller, and some of it was in that workshop performance. Mm. Um, the problem that we had was that there was no was character it? really to play mm. upon there. <laughs> Nobody knew who he Sees was. Nobody knew was anything about him. And he didn't really establish anything about himself in the brief time that he was with him. So and there was a sort of a case of... Actually, yeah. The jokes we actually had for him were about his lack of identity and his lack of, mm. of a sense of a three-dimensional personality that someone elsewhere was manipulating him, but it didn't really land. And so we left it. We, I excised those little scenelets. There's about four or five scenelets where Todd Muller comes in and he, he says a few lines about who he is and what he stands for and someone prompts him from the wings because he can't quite get it right. But it wasn't quite landing, so we cut that. And then I invented this thing called the Department of Ethical Standards. And we had, <laughs> luckily we had Andrew Falloon who had screwed up with obviously having an affair. And we had, um, oh God, I've forgotten the other guy. Um, Ian Lee's Galloway. Ian Lee's Galloway. Oh no, Ian Lee's Galloway had the affair. So we had a scene for him. Andrew Falloon, who of course was sending pornography to um, a, a school student, which is horrendous. And then we also had Judith Collins and her unfortunate racism towards all things Maori. And so there were three little scenes which are pretty much identical apart from their their crime quote unquote from, from my point of view and the punchline and a little bit of Simon Bridges coming in looking pathetic and, and that kind of yeah it's funny how the writing process works when Ben wrote his song about Simon Bridges he sent it he wrote it overnight sent it to me and I literally I started listening to it as I was getting into the shower and I was in the shower and I've got an Apple watch and so I was in the shower and I was just I was in the shower for about half an hour as I played it and played it and played it and played it and whilst I was playing it I was writing the scene that went before it and that's kind of how we started to work I would write something and Ben would take the text and then chop it up and make it a song and that was very true of the ghosts of scandals past which is a there's a big scene in which winston peters has a phone call from his past from 2008 and then that wasn't quite working it was too long so i suggested to ben it become a song and, and i 
gave some stuff and, and Ben brilliantly changed all that text into song. And then sometimes Ben would do a song and I would write a pre-scene or a post-scene event to it. So it was really, and we were very, we were very um, open with each other. So I would, Ben was very kind and said, no, if, if you want to use the lyric as dialogue, do that. And I said to Ben, if you want to use the dialogue as song lyric, do that. And it was, it's been quite a nice symbiotic relationship between the two methods. Mm-hmm. I'm talking too much. You go, Ben. Well, it's it's just been quite nice. Uh, the our, our skill sets let us actually write this thing sort of separately, but together, as it were, when we couldn't actually meet together over lockdown. So, what would happen is, you know, during the week, I I can write music and lyrics, so I would write whole songs. Nick obviously writes scenes, so he would write whole scenes, and then we get together on Zoom on Sunday, and he would say nice song, and I say thank you, and then I'd say nice scene, and he'd say thank you. <laughs> then we just keep going, and by the time a few months have passed, we had a musical. So, um, so. In a way, it was it was um, it, it, it um, if it had been a different kind of collaboration, doing it over uh, Zoom separately would have been quite impossible. But um, thankfully, due to our pre-existing relationship, uh, it was um, it was never actually that much of a difficulty to write it separately. And I think that's together. that's a really important point. Actually, I think that it. Uh, you develop very implicit and explicit qualities of trust when you're working with someone. So as a director and a musical director, and we both sing, obviously, and perform, so we're very much in each other's pockets when we're working in that way. And and what we probably didn't realise but do realise now is that we've built up a lot of trust and comfort with each other, which means that when we are talking in a in a more a more in-depth creative relationship, we're not particularly proprietorial. We're both have a real respect and love for what each other does. And so we feel quite confident in saying, can I change that? Can I chop that? Can I cut that? Can I use that? And we're saying these things to each other. And and I think because we're quite open generally, we it, it worked. Is that a fair assessment, Ben? Yes. I feel like we haven't had an actual question for ages. <laughs> no, <I'm> so <laughs> sorry. Well, maybe for our listeners, we need to hear your um, arts journey that, you know, for people that, that don't know you, what what's mm. your journey that led you to this point? But before that, Stephen, how about we hear a song from the show? When I was young, just a kid of 31, I was a lonely little young net. You feel quite unloved when you're left to discuss supply-side economics with your cat. But then I met someone who made me feel special and whose name had a certain heft. I wish I still had him in my life. Cause it's not been the same since Jamie left Jamie Lee Ross, ah, what a man A dude so cool he needed three first names Together we laughed and cried and played our happy right-wing games. We shared our mutual love for offshore drilling and tax cuts and the national debt. 
I miss all the good times, I miss my friend Cos it's not been the same since Jamie left But Jamie betrayed me, Jamie's not cool Jamie squandered his goodwill Jamie got greedy Jamie got jealous of my power and influence and rhetorical skill. Jamie says that I'm corrupt. Yeah, the Nationals corrupt. That's clearly rubbish, mate. You sound just like the Greens. Jamie says that I'm a racist. How can I be a racist? It's bullshit. My dentist is Chinese or Filipino or whatever. I mean, the point is, Jamie, how could you do this to me, Jamie? After all that we've been through, Jamie, can you really not see, Jamie, I love you? I wish you loved me too Now I'm alone an old, old net dreaming of how things And I live a conservative With no one to conserve me I sit by the window and hope you'll return But I sit of hope bereft Maybe this just wasn't meant to be Maybe my dreams were always ift And maybe you're doing fine without me But it's not been the same since Jamie left Jamie is over And Jamie is gone. That was It's Not Been the Same, sung by our own Ben. So, Stephen, shall we ask that question again? What, what's mm. your journey that led you to this point? And your time starts now. Um, okay. So, um, I was born in 1995. No, okay. uh, so, uh, well, I'm originally from England, and when I was in England uh, and was of high school age, I used to do lots of amateur dramatic stuff all around the place. I did a lot of Gilbert and Sullivan, because that's really big uh, in England, and that gave me a love of being on stage and witty wordplay and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then when I came to New Zealand in 2012... Uh, I quickly, I had a very wonderful head of music named Nigel Weeks at my uh, high school, uh, and he very quickly threw me forcibly into all things musical in the community. Uh, and so I played in the band for several shows at Harlequin Music Theatre, uh, 
which some of you might be familiar with. Uh, <laughs> and I uh, did uh, Guys and Dolls first, which was a great experience. And then uh, I did a show called Oliver, of which you might have heard, um, where I met a, a, a dashing, handsome and talented man playing the part <laughs> of Fagin. Um who introduced himself to me as Nick Brown. Um, and uh, that, that was how we really came wow. to know each other. Uh, and then we were put together uh, as a partnership by a, a producer friend of ours. And it's all really gone from there. And it's been quite fun to, um, like I say, uh, thus far, our journey has mostly been Ben as, uh, I'm Ben, has mostly been Nick as a director uh, and me as a musical director. And so it's been quite fun now to actually branch outwards into writing um, and... It, uh, it was a bit of a leap of faith because I wasn't quite sure if I could do it. So it's been quite gratifying to realise that, um, yeah, we made something that people seem to enjoy. It's a very gratifying feeling. But also, Ben, let's not forget that you are currently studying and doing a doctorate in your own right. So tell us yes. a bit about yeah. that. Yes, quite. So um, another thing that Nick and I have shared is that we've both been doing doctorates. Uh, and Nick has finished his before me, uh, a, f a fact which he is very keen to mention every time I see him. What? Um, <laughs> uh, and yes, uh, it's it's a wonderful experience. I'm doing it at the University of Auckland, uh, and I'm doing a doctorate focusing on uh, the history and aesthetics of rock musical theatre, um, which is usually when I tell people that I'm studying that as a doctorate, they go, oh, you can study that. <laughs> and I say, yes, 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 you can study that. And it's, it's but you're talking to theatre people. You're quite safe here. Exactly. Yes, and <laughs> the good thing about it is I have two supervisors, doctoral supervisors. One is a very uh, in-depth music theatre kind of guy. He's from that world, and the other isn't, which is great, because um, when, uh, when me and Gregory, the music theatre uh, uh, supervisor, are talking to each other and we're having these in-depth discussions about music theatre and rambling on, uh, my other supervisor, Nancy, can come into the room and say, guys, I have no idea what you've been talking about for half an hour. You need to make this more accessible to the average person. So, yeah, it's a great experience. Uh, hopefully that should be done soon when I find the copious free time in which to write it. Fantastic. And, um, Nick, tell us a little bit about your journey from London to New Zealand to education to doctorates to <sighs> musical theatre. Well, I suppose impatience is probably the, is a one-word information. Um, so my mum's a Christchurch girl. She was born in India, but she grew up in Christchurch. And then she went back to the UK as a teenager. I was born there and went to London University and did a drama undergraduate degree and trained as an actor, actually. And then I did a handful of shows in the West End. I did Gentlemen for Blondes at the Barbican. And I did, what else did I do? did four, um, I think, Party Pieces, which is a review with Ned Sheeran at the Fortune Theatre, and Merrily We Roll Along, which is a Sondheim musical at the Mermaid, and did kind of, you know, TIE and regional tours and things, and, and really loved it, but got impatient. And so I went back to directing, which is what my undergraduate degree was in, and did lots of directing, and I directed in London, Rome, Bermuda, and a couple of times in New York, randomly, at the York Theatre, which is a new musical theatre writing venue, which kind of put me in touch with new musical theatre writing. I love the York Theatre, it's a really cool, it's a small off-off-Broadway space, 200 seats, and all they do is new, new writing, so You're in Town came out of there, for example, um, the musical, which you probably know of, and a couple of other shows which I forget. Um, we moved to New Zealand in 2006 after things in London started to get a bit different after the kind of the, 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 the bombings we had in London in 2005. 
and we had traveled around the world my wife and I and we loved New Zealand and we'd visited my mum when she moved back here in the 90s so and then when we came over I kind of turned my major into my minor so whilst I was directing in the UK I would often teach at universities and drama schools and so when I came here I just started teaching full-time and doing some acting on the side and then I currently work at Westlake Boys which I love it's a fantastic school and they're hugely generous and they allow me to go off and do all sorts of crazy things so if I have a bit of tv or something they, they allow me to they, they're very flexible with me and um the same with them doing mary poppins next month october so again they're very generous with with how they um, help me do everything really which is be, be is the best teacher that i can be also also give me creative opportunities so i'm very very fortunate I, i've not really written before i must confess so as we talk about ben's and my relationship i've written for class stuff i wrote the school production with mj milburn from the girls school in 2018 which is a piece of performance ethnography which is part of my phd um called youthquake which is all about student voices and we we corralled all these voices around pluralism and multiculturalism and biculturalism and created a piece of performance from that um and then after my phd i'd really loved the writing of my phd strangely i'm not good at english i must confess that's what i always thought was bad at english but my supervisors were lovely and said you, your writing is really good find a way to continue so when ben made this suggestion i thought oh this seems a natural a natural segue to to write um, my phd i completed that in april um so my supervisors are Prof- professor yaninka greenwood who you know well emma and of course she's you know, when it comes to bicultural drama and theatre and education, she's the queen, queen bee, really. And Stuart Wise, who's, a, who's my second supervisor, who's a musicologist. So he would do the same. Yaninka and I would go off into the realms of fantasy and stuff. And Stuart would say, please bring it back to people that need to understand this stuff. Make it. Yeah. So, um, so my PhD is all about how young people can find identity and uh, a sense of toranga waiwai or how they position themselves in the world, whether they're I've got a bicultural identity, multicultural identity, or pluralist identity, whether you know there's some on the LGBTQI plus spectrum, or or maybe they've got ADHD or they've got dyspraxia. How do they find a space to perform in to celebrate their identity and um, share it with others so they could understand their identity? And it uses elements of performance ethnography and verbatim theatre. And verbatim theatre is where you take people's words word for word and, and reproduce them, replay them back to an audience. So yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's my kind of journey. But I, I, we're very happy here. We have two kids uh, who are Kiwis through and through, and our life in New Zealand is everything we ever really want, really. It's, it's great. So there are plans to go forward with um, mis- with MMP? <laughs> <laughs> Proportional misrepresentation. PM, for short. <laughs> Prime Minister, of course. Yeah. So, um, What's happening with that? Because, of course, you were meant to be at COVID next week or the week after. Yeah, yeah so nominally we have dates at the COVID theatre for the 4th and 5th of September at 7.30. But obviously we're just seeing how lockdown is affecting those dates and stuff. So we're in a bit of a state of flux at the moment, as, as are most theatrical ventures around Auckland, around the country, really, I suppose. So we're just seeing how that settles and then we'll we'll make some we'll make some decisions about how we're going to move forward. But we still want to do something with this show in the future, whether that's writing a new, excuse me, writing a new second act or, or developing something, another spin-off from it. Um, we're not sure. Um, but as I say, until things kind of settle over the next week to 10 days, we, we don't, we can't be totally concrete in what we plan to do. Although the COVID theater is our preferred 
um, next step. And you may find the next couple of months of electioneering might give you that second mm. act or sequel anyway. This is the yep. this is another difficult thing that, with, that we've been talking about. We would love to uh, take this thing beyond the election, but sort of depending what happens in the election, the material might still be wonderful and as relevant as ever or might be sort of <laughs> dull as dishwater, yeah. <laughs> depending on what electoral result re- we really get. So it, it's hard to really know going forwards. But... Um, yeah, we, we, we hope to still bring it forwards in some form or other. Even we have uh, a great theatre friend of ours who came to the workshop uh, has been clamouring for us to try and do this as some kind of online uh, theatre yeah. piece as well, which uh, had become quite in vogue uh, during the era of Zoom. So maybe there could be something in that as well. But, yeah, I, I, though, think having seen both the workshop and the performance, I do think the snapshot you have of February till now is something that could easily live on. And, you know, when you look at the world we are in with new New Zealand musicals, with, um, of course, Luke Soma's That Bloody Woman being the first New Zealand musical in the MTI catalogue, um, why not Why not keep going with this and, you know, does it need to be longer? Is it? Is it good the way it is? I mean, I know I really enjoyed it. Um, and Thanks, I Emma satire nature of it and um, what it was and what it could be and I think for me the most interesting thing was seeing the difference between the work mm. and the development into the final and um, it la- using your term Nick it definitely landed much clearer and you know more mm. succinctly in the end so um, I definitely recommend that people get along and see it if it coverts it's impossible. Just while you say that, um, Jerry Herman, of course, who wrote Mame and Mac and Mabel and Lacage Fall, he famously once said that musicals aren't written, they're rewritten. So that whole idea of having to take something and just tweaking it and making it actually fit for purpose is, is really an important process. Mm. There's something quite liberating, though, about just taking the score for a whole song, drawing a big X through it and red pen and tossing it out the window. <laughs> uh, as we, we, from the workshop to the performance, there was one whole song and one whole scene that were completely thrown out the window, and then almost every other song and scene had little bits trimmed off it. So um, it's, um, it, it's, I, it's good to, I think, overwrite uh, so that then you can yeah. sort of condense down to the really good stuff. Both it, Ben and I do that as well. There's so many. There were so many times in rehearsal where one of the actors would look at Ben as though to say, "Oh, for sake, why have you written these words, these lyrics?" And then a few minutes later, another actor would be trying to speak the text, and they would look at me. And uh, Caroline Evergarden, who's a very good friend, she, she often would look at me as Jacinda, and there would be the, these looks of, "Why? Why have you done this?" <laughs> and it's, I'm a big fan of The West Wing as well, and it's kind of that oh, very. Yeah verbose, dense text. I really love that. that, that, that yeah. Well, that's Brilliant. what workshops are for. I'm reminded of uh, Harrison Ford said to George Lucas during the filming <laughs> of Star Wars, George, you can write this bleep, but you can't say it. Uh, and so <laughs> and the act of seeing something on its feet always Absolutely. Changes. And let's leave it there with that quote. We are out of time, but Ben and Nick, an absolute pleasure to talk to Thanks, you. Simon. Um, do stay in touch. We will uh, let us know what's happening with your show so that we can pop that up um, on our social media if it's going ahead or if it has new dates or anything like that. Stay in touch. And we'll look forward to perhaps touching base after the elections and see if we've inspired you for the sequel. Thank you. And Emma, thank you so much, especially for your advocacy and promotion. Ben and I don't take it for granted. No yes, right. thank you, Emma. Hey. It's appreciated. Awesome interview, Stephen. Absolutely. What a great couple of guys and so much talent between them. Awesome. Definitely. You know what?
we could have not even been there and they could have just done it without us. I know. Hey, I really um, wish I had seen the show when it was on earlier. I hope that opportunity might come up again soon. I know. And guess what? What? Nick contacted me after our interview to let me know that it's been postponed. Bummer. Although, at least if it's postponed, not cancelled there'll still be an opportunity to see it. So we can certainly promote on our social media once that date gets confirmed. Yes, we will. We'll definitely be sharing once they know where it's moving to at COVID Theatre. So um, all the best for that, Nick and Ben. But there are still shows that are happening. And this week, Patrick caught up with Meg Hargraves and discussed her year, including a show she's got coming up. Thank you, Emma and Stephen. I'm here with Meg Hargraves. So, Meg, how did you originally get into the theatre world? I started theatre really, really late. Um, I was always quite an outgoing kid, but I was thrust into sport by my parents. (laughs) Um, Very lovingly. Tried everything. Netball, water polo. There was a stint of tennis for a little bit, but I wasn't very coordinated um, when it came to sports. And so (laughs) I moved up to Auckland when I was 13. I was living in Christchurch prior to that. And I actually, I saw an ad in the newspaper for a production of Annie Jr. And I was like, ah, oh, this could kind of be fun. And I went and auditioned <laughs> and it went really well. And then kind of from there, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, this is my thing. Let's stick with this one. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that and how old were you? Ah, uh, that was in 2000 and, oh golly, 2015. Yeah, 2015, I was 13, maths. You've now been in the theatre world for six years Can you talk to me about some of your favourite experience of your, like, roles and favourite shows that you've been in? Oh, golly. I like to keep myself busy, so I've crammed about 25-ish shows into the the five, six years I've been doing theatre. There have been so many interesting stories through all those. Some of my favourite shows I've done, I did Beauty and the Beast Junior back in 2018 with Papakura Theatre Company, and I played Belle, and that was by far and away one of my favourite roles I've ever done just because I've always wanted to play a Disney princess and kind of do the whole whole Disney thing. Another one of my favourite roles I've played is Alice Beinecke and I played Alice in in, uh, 2000... No, I lied. I did Beauty and the Beast in 2017. I did Adam's Family in 2018 and that was with Girl with Rose Hill College and that was a very unexpected role for me. I didn't really know much about the character but she's ended up becoming one of my most favourite roles that I've ever played in. Adam Stanley is such a cool show. And then one of my favourite shows I've done overall is just Carrie with Auckland Music Theatre. That was also an amazing show. And the cast was so tight. Um, yeah, it was also a really good show. Yeah, all of them my favourite shows. <laughs> oh, you've named Beauty and the Beast and Adam's Family are like two of my favourites as well. <laughs> I did them last year and just loved it. Uh, no, I saw Beauty and the Beast. That was- um, so last time I caught up with you... What- which was how many of the light years ago? If light years was a period of time. <laughs> but you were working at Rainbow Zend. Are you still chugging along there? How's that? I am indeed. I'm still fluttering away over there. Of course, it's been affected a lot with the whole COVID thing, as is, as is everything at the moment. But no, I, I love my job, eh? It's so much fun. I get to hang out with a cool bunch of co-workers, meeting new kids every week, and basically doing what I love you know, on a, on, a, on a smaller scale, but being able to sort of perform every week is very, very nice. <laughs> so what exactly is the job description that you have at Rambo's End? So technically, I'm an entertainer, 
So we do we do a lot of things. So as well as as well as doing, we obviously do the park characters. We do the mascots. We do we do the shows, and then we do other other things like the side shows. We operate those, and we do the the photo spots as well. That's just an it's come come kind of comes under the whole um, umbrella of entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> Heading into twenty twenty, what were your plans leaving school and? You know, moving forward into the adult world. So my plans, I, at the beginning of the year, I went to, I went on a trip to America with the Kiwi All-Stars and I was in New York for a couple of weeks. And then I went to the Junior Theatre Festival in Atlanta, which was amazing. We have, obviously we have JT, or we have now JTF here as well. But the, the size comparison of the one in Atlanta was absolutely insane and it absolutely blew my mind and then we went to, I went to LA for a few weeks as well and so that was a great way to start the year but <laughs> and my plan was to do to kind of do lots of shows get working and save basically so I could then go to uni next year but then of course coronavirus decided that it didn't want the world to operate for a little bit and so everything's been cancelled pushed back postponed uh, and kind of now the the future kind of looks very uncertain, but I'm kind of just chugging chugging away as much as I can. Yeah, well, I was fortunate enough to also be in America, not with the Junior All Stars, but with Robert Dill Performing Arts mm-hmm. around like exactly the same time as you guys were, obviously. And it was such an awesome experience having you know, so many people around the world all coming together for that one event. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was like the last big event before we were told to go inside our homes. Yeah, me too. Um, like. It, it kind of it was f- funny because we got back, and then the week after I got back, they announced everything was shutting down. So it was lucky we went when we did, basically. So as you said, a lot of things have been postponed, pushed back, cancelled. But I know that you have Aladdin Junior coming up because it was originally supposed to going to be in June, was it? But, sorry, the show was originally scheduled for April, and yeah, now it's been pushed back to September. So obviously we're all still inside our homes for the time being, but as soon as it's safe, we're going back to rehearsals and, you know, hopefully um, Corona will hold off long enough, <laughs> long enough or disappear so we can so we can bring Auckland the show that we've worked so very hard on for such a long time. And it's, yeah, it would, it would be very nice <laughs> to get back into the theatre and perform. I miss it a lot. <laughs> so are you doing, so you'll be probably performing in level two. So are you guys going to be restricted to a hundred seats or are you waiting for level one where you can fill out a theatre? So if all goes according to plan, we should be in level one by the time the show starts, fingers crossed. So um, hopefully we'll still be in level one, but if we're in level two, um, that I suppose that'll be up to the up to the committee and up to the production team as to how that goes ahead. So do you have any other plans for the rest of the year outside of Aladdin or are you, is your primary focus on that one show? So uh, at, the, at the moment, uh, uh, I'm, my, I'm focusing on Aladdin and I'm in the middle of preparing for or doing online auditions for uni. And so I'm kind of focusing on those two things at once. Oh, and Expect the Unexpected, which is um, a cabaret that Harlequin Theatre is doing. I'm also in that. And so hopefully the dates for that, the new ticket dates will be announced for that very, very shortly. That was another show that we got, it got announced that we were going back into lockdown two days before we were supposed to start the run of the show, which was pretty devastating. And I remember just sitting backstage in the theatre and someone had the, the live screen on their thing and we all kind of, our faces just fell when we realised what was happening. We were like, oh, oh, cool. But yeah, apart from those things, I'm kind of just waiting, waiting to see what happens with the world. 
Well, I remember when I heard the announcement and I was actually coming back from my own rehearsal and I got a text from someone saying like, oh, I'll see you in see you in like three days back because it was three days originally. And I was like, what? So I was so confused with the text and I was like going through everything, but it just been announced so there was no news on it. And I'm like, is this a prank? Am I like, because my mum didn't hear about it. So it was a very weird time hearing, you know, that first few days. As you said, you're auditioning for schools schools online, so that's crazy cool. What places are you looking at? I'm looking mainly at schools in Australia, so all the all the usual ones, Whopper and Griffith and um, VCA, and then at uh, Fitty down in Wellington as well. And so it's been it's been quite unusual having to do everything over video. I guess this is the world we live in now, but it's been it's been a very good learning experience having to put self tapes together and watching myself over and over and over again to make sure that I've done everything correctly. Um, Emma's been helping me out a lot with that as well. So, but no, it's been it's been it's been an interesting experience. Yeah, well, because the good thing about self tapes is that if you screw it up once, you just refilm it, which you don't get to do in a live audition. So you've um, become a bit of a sensation online as well, though. Um, I wouldn't say sensation. Oh, I've seen the fan art. As soon as someone sends you fan art, that's when you know you've, you've made it. So yeah, talk, talk me through and our listeners through this TikTok um, storyline. How did it start? When did you notice that you become like quite popular? And what's the plan with it? So I downloaded TikTok through the first quarantine, as every bored teenager did. And at first I was kind of just using it to, you know, scroll through, watch some videos, posted a couple of things. But then there was one, I was literally up at midnight and I was like, I had this melody like going through my head and I was like, oh, this is kind of funky. Oh, like I grabbed grabbed my, my ukulele and wrote a wee song and I was like, oh, I'll just... I'll just chuck it up on TikTok, see what happens. (laughs) And then it had about 500,000 views within the first like couple of hours. And I was like, oh, oh, this is, this is, this is interesting. And I went to my sister, my TikTok's blowing up. And she goes, what, it's got like a thousand views or something. She sees it. She's like, oh my God, Meg. (laughs) And so that kind of happened. Um, again, gained a few, few thousand followers from that, which was wild. It all happened so fast as well. And so I was kind of like, oh, I guess I'll keep this going. This could be kind of fun. So I wrote a couple of other songs and there was another one that went viral about, I wrote one about British people. And so that got some attention as well. And so now I've, I've kind of just kept it going. And now over this lockdown as well, I've been writing a lot more music as well. Um, and so I'm kind of just, kind of just... Yeah, seeing seeing where it takes me. <laughs> so Meg, you should probably mention the one TikTok that on one site has had four point eight million views. It's had five point four thousand comments <laughs> and it's been shared over seven hundred thousand times. So yeah, blowing up's a word for it. Four point eight million people have seen one of Meg's TikToks, which is her body proud. TikTok. And there's that one too. Yeah. <laughs> there's that one as well. Yeah. Emma, I've got Emma to thank for that one. She posted it. <laughs> yeah. So that it's been a, despite having all this stuff happen this year, it seems like you've kept yourself busy. You've worked really hard and now you're in a really good place looking forward. 
um, you know, hopefully you get into one of these schools. But let's look five, ten years down the track. What are some goals and ambitions you have set for yourself? I would obviously love to finish my degree that I'm going to get. That's that's the first goal is finish the degree. I would then really like to move to either the UK or to the US, depending on how both countries are looking. My my ultimate goal is I want to have a professional musical theatre career or a professional career performing in some sort. I also really enjoy like children's entertainment. So that could also be a path that I go down. So something along the lines of that or a professional musical theatre career. I'd also like to have a couple of tiny dogs. That would also be very nice. And I'd like my own apartment somewhere in the city, somewhere in a city. That would be very nice. You want a place to live. <laughs> yeah. I want to, I want a stable income and I want to... I don't ask for much. Exactly. But I could totally see you as a wiggle. That's my new goal and ambition, to see Meg as a wiggle. You know how many people have told me that? So many people. It's just, <laughs> and it's I love smile. that. I, yeah, I would love that. Like, if I could just stand there, like, that would be, that would be great fun. Um, well, finally, we have, what are some shameless plugs that you've got? Your TikTok, Aladdin Junior, we can expect the unexpected. Where can people get tickets and where can everyone find you? I'll rattle some off. Okay. Aladdin Junior coming to MPA this September slash October. You can buy your tickets on iTicket. Expect the Unexpected coming to you very soon. You can buy your tickets on iTicket. Follow me on TikTok, Meg.Hargraves. And my other shameless plug is be kind to one another, please. That was the most quick fire shameless plug I've heard. Hard and fast, you know? Gotta make gotta make it quick. <laughs> <laughs> Just like our COVID response. Exactly. <laughs> well, Thank you so much, Meg, for joining us. Yeah, good luck with your future. Thank you, and to you. Another superb interview, Patrick, well done. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Aladdin because apart from Meg, I've actually got six students in Aladdin. So I'm really looking forward to seeing them. And, you know, it's been a long journey for them. They auditioned last year, so. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, yeah. That's great. And music certainly has continued this year despite lockdowns. And we're delighted to be releasing a song in a second from the group The Bats. And they've officially announced their 10th full-length album, Foothills. And the song Warwick, which we're about to play, is the first single and video from the album. The album will come out on November the 13th. It's part of Flying Nun Records. And the video for Warwick was made during New Zealand's lockdown by Auckland-based Connor Bowden. So he directed, filmed, edited and acted in the video. Spanning the last 38 years, the Bats have clocked nine incredible albums. Each one seen the band evolve with new material from the prolific songwriting hand of Robert Scott. Here is their latest release, Warwick, and make sure you check out their new album, Foothills, when it comes out in November. Sorry, not available at the moment. Please leave a message after the tone. Sorry, not available at the moment. 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 Please leave a message after the time. Shit, believe in it. 
was the song Warwick from the band The Bats and great to hear that they are launching an album on the 13th of November. Yeah, and you know, hearing you saying they are with Flying Nun brings me back to my childhood growing up in Dunedin with all those Flying Nun Otago University bands and that kind of iconic sound that comes with Flying Nun. Hey, we caught up with our first international guest this week, Lisa Crawley, all the way in Los Angeles. Well, we're now joined by the very talented, fabulous and gorgeous Lisa Crawley, all the way from Los Angeles. Welcome, Lisa, to KickArts. Kia ora, how are you? Nice to see and hear you. Yeah, we're doing great. And I guess I should start by asking, how are you doing in Los Angeles? Because here in New Zealand media, we're all hearing the horror stories of America. But what is it like for you at the moment over there? Yeah, I'm just taking a day at a time at the moment. Um, some days are harder than others. I think we're probably on day 160 or 70 or something of lockdown here now. So it kind of, I've been on lockdown since March 14. And I only actually moved here in January. So it's been an interesting, interesting ride. <laughs> Not quite what I expected when I, um, when I turned up. But um, yeah, look, um, it's, it's a mixed bag here. There's, there's like, some things are still open that you sort of think, why are you open? Other things, you know, most things have shut down, but 
some most people are very responsible with wearing masks. Like I go for hikes now because uh, the weather is very warm. It's like averaging on like thirty or thirty to thirty-five degrees at the moment. So I'm going for hikes and trying to get you know get out of the house as well, just for my mental health. And but hiking in t- for two hours with a a mask on is quite challenging. I've learned that. I bet. But most people are doing it, which is good. I think some people think they're, don't, you know, I've heard that you can be fined in, in some places for not wearing one. Um, but most people are pretty responsible around my area anyway. Um, but, yeah, a lot of crazy politics. I'm still learning and, and trying to keep up with everything. And I also don't look at the news every single day just because I'm... Um, I'm locked down by myself. You know, there's a trying to just take in what I need to, and also, yeah, try and yeah. try and stay as positive as possible without being oblivious to what's going on. Yeah. I don't know about you, Emma, but I'm suddenly feeling very guilty. Before we went live with Lisa, we were talking about how we feel being in lockdown again for just two weeks, and you've just said 70 days since March. I think, yeah. I won't. I won't complain again. Oh, day like a hundred and a hundred and seventy. A hundred and seventy, even worse. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a lot worse. So yeah, I worked quite hard to get my artist visa. So um, that was kind of like a year-long process and a lot of savings involved. So my visa is that I can only work doing music. So I can't really get any other work. So yeah, it's it's not a cheap place to live either. But I don't know. I would have thought about going back to New Zealand if I'd maybe known how long it was going to go for but just the time it took to get my visa I couldn't quite get my head around packing up straight away and leaving so um, yeah I'm trying to just see it through and there's been some you know you, you do things that you wouldn't normally do connect with people that you might not have talked to in a long time and I'm trying to trying to you know see the positives and whatnot but yeah so so what makes leave New Zealand and go to America? Oh, well, I actually was in New Zealand last year for about nine months, but prior to that I was living in Melbourne in Australia and um, I, from Melbourne, had sort of felt like my time there was probably time for a change. Um, I spent five years there and had some great gigs and things, but I wasn't writing enough music and, and being as creative as I'd hoped to be overall and part of that was yeah just just I'd always wanted to live in America for at least a while and I'd done several trips over the last five years to Los Angeles and had a really overall like a really positive response to gigs and and to my genre of music um so that was a draw card and I really love um wanted to pursue writing for other people and with other people and for specific projects which I'd had a taste of, but there was just a lot of a lot of that going on here at the time. Not so much now. <laughs> um, yeah, but that was a draw card for me, and so yeah, a few things sort of just came to an end, and, and I just thought I'd apply for the visa. And I mean, it wasn't like a, a lottery type thing. It was proving that you needed well, not needed to be there, but wanted to be there and could offer these certain things. So. Yeah, I just um, wanted to to really give that a shot while I was at a point in my life where I, I could. Yeah, absolutely. And you ventured home to New Zealand last year to star in the musical Once, which was just so beautiful to watch and enjoy. What was it like coming back home and, and stepping on stage again in, in 
in a new theatre since you've been away. No, isn't it a lovely theatre, I thought. Um, yeah, that was great. I actually auditioned for that while I was still in Melbourne by video and um, then chased it up. I, I left Melbourne, I hadn't heard anything back, and then I chased it up while I was doing like a writing residency in, in this beautiful part of uh, Canada called Banff, which is like in the snow. It's like a little Narnia with lots of little huts and they give you a hut with your piano in it and yeah and I just was like I never really heard back about that I should just reach out just in case and then they hadn't cast that role yet so I um yeah I did an audition from my little hut and got the role and so I didn't know until yeah months later after my initial audition so yeah went back to New Zealand for that which I just loved and and it was yeah it was a nice a nice challenge um interesting to play someone from the Czech Republic yeah. <laughs> and Jesse Peach the director it was a nice connection because we went to Avondale College and um, I remember him in our, in our concert band he played saxophone and he also worked at the Bird Barn I know you probably <laughs> know where that is and, yeah. <laughs> and where I grew up just down the road and um, and so I always I always remembered him and he was on Shorten Street I was like oh, it's Jesse and so it was really nice to work with him again we did lamers at Avondale College I was a few years younger um and so yeah I I had that connection with him so that was nice to to work with him again and yeah it was certainly was a challenge um to be honest I lost I lost a bit of my hearing during the show due to like this operation um and so I had this extra stress of being able to hear Which, which luckily I was playing a character that often just said, what? Um, <laughs> you know, that European, like, stern thing. So that was, like, an extra challenge, but it made me really, really think about the notes and, like, make sure I learned the songs and every note was, like, perfect because I couldn't hear as well as I normally could, which has gone back to normal now. But just it was, like, the worst timing because I felt like that was a real opportunity for me, um, which, yeah, it was an added challenge, but I don't think anyone really knew, so that was good. Um, and a great cast and lovely people and, and lots of fun. Quite quite a rushed, like quite a lot to learn quite quickly. And you said before um, that when you had gone across to LA a few times, people had liked your genre of music. Describe your genre of music to our listeners. Oh, that's a good question. But I'm not sure <laughs> if I even know myself, but I just feel like um, I, I suppose as a singer-songwriter, um, there's... I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of radio stations that have really commercial pop music and then there's stations that are really, like, more on the indie side. And I, I've always felt like I fall somewhere in between and and there's been great gigs in New Zealand. Like, I'd always play at this place on um, in town called The Wine Cellar and, and, it, and like, lovely live opportunities. But I, I felt like uh, there was a bit more of an audience for that middle market of, of being like sort of indie pop, but sort of like maybe more grown up indie pop. I'm not sure quite how to explain it. I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, I love, I love lyrics and, and um, I don't know. I've never really fussed too much about what's super trendy and just kind of made what I want to do. I've always, it's, it's interesting, and I think writing for other projects is good to be aware of that, but I just didn't think I'd have a chance of a long-standing career if I prioritised what the latest sound was. So, I don't know, I just feel like there was a market for people that really want to sit and listen to to lyrics, and um, one gig was called um, Top Tune, which was like a songwriting game show 
here, um, and you have 17 minutes to write a song. So wow. a friend told me about that, and that was when I was visiting five years ago now, and I did that, and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is the funnest funnest gig. It was, you know, it puts you on the spot. You have 17 minutes to write a song, and and but people were just really responsive, and they said, oh, you should move here. You know, there's a lot of a lot of opportunities for, I don't know, indie pop songwriters and and eventually I did and yeah I've only actually done a couple of gigs um since I've been here because there's no gigs (laughs) (laughs) so tell us about your latest single clear history which has um just been launched yeah um so that is a song that I've I wrote, um, I suppose, another part of um, the appeal to try living in L.A. for a while, or living in L.A., I suppose, and doing it, um, was the the collaborations and and different ways of recording. And often, um, in the past, my albums, I've just saved, and, you know, I worked at Dunkin' Donuts, worked through weddings, I'd sit in the corner and play at a hotel, and I would just, um, sorry, my neighbour's dog is barking quite loudly. Um, (laughs) And I would just save and save and save and save and and own the rights to all my songs, which is great. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's a lot of money. You were talking like, you know, thousands and thousands to, to make an album. And here there was this way of doing things where I could get together with someone and write together and and share the costs or maybe there'd be a producer. So between our skill set, it wouldn't cost anything to record and if the song did well and got royalties, we would split them then. So that's kind of been the way I've done my last couple of singles, um, which has been a more sustainable way of, of just keeping on writing and doing songs. Um, so, for example, one of those songs got on a TV show, so the money from that got split between us, which was cool. But, um, yeah, and I do think there's merits of owning all your rights and, and hiring a band and all that sort of stuff. But just for where I'm at at the moment, it seemed to be a, a kind of um, practical way of, of making music. And so I got together with someone that a company um, that pitched my songs to film and TV suggested. Um, and, yeah, we wrote a bunch together, including this song. He produced it uh, that I met at a music conference. Um which is, you know, a conference that you could go to, for a songwriting conference, I suppose, just, I should right. say, where you learn about what kind of songs work for television and and you meet and greet with different people and have different mentors. And this one was in Hawaii a few years ago, and my friend told me about it, a girl I went to Avondale College with, actually. And um, I was in America anyway, so I attended, and that's where I met this company that liked my songs and wanted to pitch them for film and TV. Um, and this guy Rob was also on the same books, one of his projects. So, yeah, that's that's how that came about. Now he lives five minutes walk away, and we're trying to write some more songs together. So that's fantastic. And, and short, <laughs> shortly we will play um, Clear History. But we started the show with one of my favourites, and that's Elizabeth. So oh, cool. can you tell me what inspired Elizabeth, or who I should say? Uh, probably what? Uh, yeah, probably what and who. Um, so yeah, Elizabeth is um, somebody, is someone who wants to, is pursuing music and has to, it's, it's just sort of about addressing some of the things that come with the music industry and 
and trying not to let that get the better of you and remembering that the more positive side of things and, and persisting. Um, I'm not sure. I actually worked with a company called Bullet Heart Club and we turned, inspired by that song, Elizabeth, into like a cabaret show, which um, have done, did a Melbourne at the Fringe Festival and a few cabaret arts festivals in Australia and the New Zealand Fringe um, two years ago as well. So that was turned into a show um, and Bullet Heart Club did Daffodils. I don't know if you saw the show or, or oh, the yeah, movie. Yeah. yeah, so a really talented um, duo, Rochelle and, and Katan, and they. I wrote out all these experiences of people watching while playing. Specifically, the cabaret show was set at a hotel lobby because I've done a lot of that, you know, sitting there and, and playing while you people watch, which is something I love to do. But it was based on if people could know what was going on in your head while you're sitting there and smiling and, and playing away. And... Um, yeah, which was a great outlet for a lot of experiences. And it was sort of a love story and it was, yeah, funny and sad. And I also took song requests during the show, so from the audience. So I, I could tell them that I could um, play any request. And so I, about 95% of them I could do from the audience. So that was good. Um, yeah, so it was about people request a song. And, and it's interesting for me because I've done... So the cruise ship I did to actually get to LA, um, I did four hours a night for five weeks, seven nights a week of all requests. And so you learn about what people like and what's going on in their heads and what kind of person they might be to request that song. Um, so that is uh, Elizabeth, which, you know, started as a song, turned into a music video um, and, yeah, turned into a, a cabaret show that we're not quite finished with yet. So hopefully depending on what happens with everything, um, that will resurface in one way or another. Yeah. Cool. So, <laughs> plans going forward, just stick it out. You were saying that your artist visa is for a year only, so does that take you through to January? Oh, yeah. Actually, if it's for three years. I think it took me about a year to actually hear back and, and all the forms and everything. So, that was approved in August and... By the time I had enough to, the, the process of getting the visa was quite expensive. So, yeah, I, I had this cruise ship timely, um, yeah, come up and said, oh, we'll pay for your flights to L.A. and you play between L.A. and Mexico for five weeks on this ship. So that worked out. Um, but that will last till June 2022, uh, whether, whether I can sustain that without actually being able to earn money outside of the odd, like, teaching online virtual lessons and things um, because my income was going to be playing functions and, and doing songwriting. So I'll still keep writing. Um, I'd like, I like I do like it here. I, I had a great initial two months. I do miss New Zealand terribly and also my friends in Melbourne and that sort of thing. So depending on what kind of happens and, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. But by the end of the year, I think I'd have a better indication of, of what will happen and I've met some nice people here but I also yeah I'm a bit homesick as well I miss burger fuel a lot (laughs) it's the little things it's always the little things and marmite Oh, we'll send you some marmite, Lisa. Um, we have a <laughs> we have a traditional question on kick arts that we love to mm-hmm. ask people, and that is if you could go back in time and tell your sixteen year old self something, 
what would it be? So if you were going to head back to those teenage days at Avondale College, what wow. would you tell yourself knowing what you know now? Um, oh, my goodness. Oh, <laughs> you caught me up. What would I tell myself? Oh, that's good. We, we like to stump our guests. That's all yeah. part of it. <laughs> um, I was a big stress head, and I still stress out about certain things. Um, but I remember that I bring it back to sort of musical theatre. I got into a school called La Salle. I think I was 16, which was started up by the WAPA crew and then went to become a school in Singapore. And I got into that and... At the, at the time, I thought it was the end of the world that I couldn't... It was a very expensive journey to, to last for three years over the overseas, so I couldn't end up doing it. But but just that it's not going to be the end of the world and that there will be other opportunities maybe because I was so devastated. <laughs> um, but, yeah, also just to um, remember the things that you have achieved already. Like when I was 16, I was stressing about not having won wannabes when I went on wannabe series or not um when it, you know you know like when I went on New Zealand's Got Talent I was told I was too vanilla and like I just took that to heart a lot but obviously like the the louder voice in my head that told me to keep going won because I did but I I was very like devastated I just thought that was the end of the world so probably in my younger self I'd say it's okay you're, you're only 16 just chill out you know no. That's it. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. What a, what a great place to um, leave the interview. Lisa, thank you so much for catching oh, up with pleasure. us um, via Zoom. We're going to go out now and play your new single, Clear History, and we hope you'll stay in touch and come back to Kick Arts. Every time you've got something to launch, we'd love to promote it. Um, keep thank us posted. You. And um, my drama teacher. Yeah, it was a long time ago now. <laughs> I know, I know. I still remember the Calston Community Centre and, um, wow. and also, of course, a Playhouse Theatre show. So thank you for, for yeah. that. Yeah, well, we're lucky this is a radio show and I haven't embarrassed you with Oompa Loompa photos from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Hey, that's okay. <laughs> Bust them out, I'd love to see them. <laughs> okay, Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, clear history.
And that was Clear History, the latest single from New Zealand-born, Los Angeles-based indie pop songwriter Lisa Crawley. And if you want to find out more about Lisa or follow what she's doing, check her out on Instagram at Lisa Crawley Music or on Facebook. So cool that we can reach out and be a little bit wider than just Auckland, Stephen. Totally. So if we've got people listening from anywhere in the world that wants to come on and promote their music or their art or their theatre, make sure you get in touch. We'd love to chat to you. We can do it via Zoom. Even when we go back live, we can easily play a recording from anywhere around the world. Email us at kickarts1 at gmail.com. And somebody who did get in touch, Emma, was author Pip Mackay. And Sharon did a book review for her last week of The Telling Time. And now we get to chat to her. Well, we're now joined by Pip Mackay, who is author of The Telling Time. Welcome to Kick Arts, Pip. Thank you, Stephen. And I don't know if you caught our show last week, but you got a very good review from Sharon, our book reviewer, who is pretty tough <laughs> on books. And I'm pretty sure you were, I think it was a 9 out of 10, which is, is one of the highest she's ever given it's a really good must read so congratulations on passing the kick arts test at least. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about the telling time okay it's a story about two young women so it's a coming of age story it has secrets at its heart and those secrets are sort of about the vulnerabilities that a lot of women face. Takes the reader from 1958 Yugoslavia across to New Zealand and then back again in 1989. So it's set in two time periods. Um, It's a mother and a daughter story. And Gabriella is the mother. She comes to New Zealand in the late 50s with a secret. She's been exiled by her father. And her daughter in the late 80s, who is a very proud Croatian Kiwi, wants to go back to the homeland, but she also wants to unpick her mother's secret and try and pull together the estranged family. So there's a lot going on there. It's a lovely immigrant story, great visual journey. It's We can't travel at the moment. It's a great way to sort of feel like you can um, you can travel. It's got lots going on. And where did this come from? What inspired you to write this tale? The nugget, I started a creative writing course at um, Auckland's Creative Hub six years ago. And in that course, we had to come up with an idea for a novel and we were asked to look back over our own timeline and for moments that had been influential. And one of those ones for me was as a young backpacker in the late 80s, travelling with a girlfriend um, into Yugoslavia, which was a country we knew very little about. And we went across a border, a very, very remote border, in the top northwest corner of Greece into Macedonia. And we ended up putting ourselves in a very risky situation, um, which could have turned out quite differently. And I just looked at that and I just thought, okay, what can I pull from this? And then I combined that with my fascination of the country at the time. It had really struck me as a young traveller, and then later, well, really, it struck me for the the contrast in the country, sort of the beauty of Croatia compared with Macedonia, where I felt I was stepping back into the war years. But also, much later than that, I was back in Auckland, and I just came across a number of Croatian friends, families, who 
I started hearing about the Croatian immigrant story and about the impact, I guess, that that had on our on New Zealand's re- recent history. And I just thought it was a really nice way to sort of combine all of those things in a novel. And yeah, just interesting setting, interesting times, places. That was kind of where it came from. But it took six years to write, as these things often do. So thinking about your writing journey, then how many books before this one, if this one took six years? <laughs> Hopefully the uh, the writing process won't take quite as long next time. But I think sometimes it just does with a novel. And sometimes it's important to sit with your characters for a while and to really get to know them. For me, I think part of the journey or a very important part of the writing journey was uh, doing the Masters in Creative Writing at Auckland Uni. So that happened three years ago. And particularly in that course, uh, I had the influence, the assistance of a, of a great cohort of fellow writers who are now sort of publishing books left, right and centre as well. But also Dr. Paula Morris, who heads that course, She's just a fabulous mentor and she just has such a good eye for what's needed. And in particular for my story, um, I'd really started with Louise's story, which was the 1989 thread. But it was Paula who said to me, Pip, Gabriella's story has to be told. And so I then had to do a mad scramble in the middle of my master's year to start writing Gabriella's story, which came first and then to hand that in as my master's. So it's taken, it just has taken that time to sit with my characters, particularly Gabriella, and really get to know her and what it would feel like to be an immigrant at that time, what it would feel like to be an immigrant who comes with a secret at that time, and what it was like for her her family and her daughter sort of, you know, going back again. And And am I right, you've already won an award? (laughs) <laughs> yes, well, that that was that was some really uh, f- fabulous news in lockdown. Um, the the novel we decided to publish the novel um, just before lockdown for the reasons of just look, you know, this feels like it. That's it just everything felt very sort of like um, fragile and and just wanting to get this book out. Um, but during that time, I learned um, that I'd won the International First Pages Prize. So that's, a, that's a, an award for emerging writers. It's an international award. And it was judged by an international panel, including Sebastian Fawkes. And it concentrates on the first five pages or the first 1,200 words, which is about half a chapter. So they're really looking for the hook that grabs the reader and entices them to read on. And in this case, Sebastian Fawkes liked the fact that he was taken to Korchler and he was thrown into a sardine factory where um, Gabriella was working. So, um, yeah, and I, yeah, amongst all those entries, I, I won. So it's, it was fabulous bubble-breaking news. And funny enough, what Stephen interrupted me from <laughs> saying a second ago, importance of that hook and hooking people in, because that's one of the big things that Sharon was saying last week when she did the reviews. We mm-hmm her about her scale from one to ten and what made a book be up in that seven eight nine category was where she didn't struggle to get into it so she felt like she could keep picking it up and reading because Mm -hmm. it doesn't like books that are hard work at the start yeah well it was certainly one of the things that we learned in our master's year was the importance of even the first line and so yeah I just start right in there sardines we reeked of them (laughs) 
If people want to get in touch, find out more, follow, know more about who is Pip, where do they find you? Uh, they can uh, follow me on Facebook or on Instagram under PJ Mackay Author. I've also got a really informative website. That's www.pjmackayauthor.com. If people go to those sites, they'll find most of what they're looking for. I'd just like, probably like to add, it's a really, really good book for book groups, for, for um, the particularly those that want to discuss sort of quite meaty themes and to have a book that's enjoyable um, but really one that they can also sort of relate to a lot of the themes and to sort of talk about sort of the things that are going on. So, yeah, any book clubs out there, I think, you know, I'd recommend you sort of picking this one up and, and having a go. Brilliant. Well, thanks for joining us tonight, Pip. We wish you well with the success of this book and hopefully it won't be six years till we interview you for the next one. Thanks very much, Stephen. Ever. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, bye. Well, Emma, hopefully next week we'll be back in the studio with a mixture of live guests and some recorded ones. Um, but of course, how can people stay in touch with us in the meantime? You need to be following us on Instagram, which is kickarts.nz, or on our Facebook page. And remember, if you want us to share anything on our social media, get in touch with us because it will also get you on our show. Absolutely. And like we said earlier, dob someone in. If you've got um, someone doing amazing stuff out there, please let us know. Now, we're going to go out with a really unusual song choice for me tonight, but it's a Katy Perry number. And it's called Smile. But the reason why I loved it, Emma, was she's created this really cool animated theatrical music video to go with the song. So it sort of fits in with the kick arts feel. Fantastic. And we'll play that video on our social media after this. Awesome. Have a great week and always remember to kick some arts. Just to see me trying to 